the Lord is indeed near with help. And we see that in our passage today, which we will take from Luke chapter 7, a sinful woman who comes to Jesus and who rejoices in what he brings. Luke chapter 7, the verses 36 to 50. But before we dive into reading this part, these particular verses, we need to think about the context a little bit, the context in which this comes. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus has been showing his compassion to those who are in need. He's been showing his, his grace. He's been showing how he is the fulfillment of, uh, of Isaiah's prophecy as well. Isaiah chapter 61, the verses 1 to 3, when he comforted John with the words that he is coming as the Messiah who fulfills prophecy. And then it's at that point in time that he, he warns the Pharisees and lawyers who thought very highly of themselves and quite highly of their own righteousness. And he encouraged them to, to be like the tax collectors, to, to hear the same message that the tax collectors heard as they came down to the river to John, to be baptized by John, and as they rejoiced in the preaching of Jesus. He called them to come with humility before God, recognizing their, their great and their desperate need. And it's with his teaching now, the teaching that this woman in our passage would have been listening to and would have been affected by, that we come to our passage today. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he, that is Jesus, went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when he had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil. But this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. 
Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And we'll think especially of verse 7, uh, verse, verse 47, chapter 7, verse 47. Therefore I say to you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But the to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Beloved congregation, beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, would you let a prostitute wash your feet at a dinner party? There are so many questions which crowd your mind when you consider this passage. Who is this woman? Why in the world is she washing his feet? What would the disciples, Christ's closest friends, be thinking right now? What would the crowds be thinking? There's got to be a purpose to what's going on here. What is it? What this woman is doing is the natural outcome of what Jesus has been teaching. And Jesus draws Simon's attention to this in our passage today. But he's not only teaching his host something by allowing this. He's teaching the woman, and he's teaching us today as well. We'll look at what our Lord teaches us under this theme today, the love of a prostitute. We'll see, first of all, Simon's shock, and secondly, a whore's hope. Simon's invitation to Jesus Christ, as we come into this passage, seems to have been, in his mind, one of the highest honors that he could bestow on Jesus. The invitation alone. The invitation extended to Jesus was quite likely one which happened after preaching publicly here, and it was common to invite a a teacher or a rabbi into your home after preaching, much like we will often invite visiting ministers into our homes after preaching between services. I want you to notice something, though. Notice Simon's entitled attitude when he comes to Jesus Christ. It's painful how he treats Jesus. There is a real lack of love. And it it shows how he did consider the very fact of inviting Jesus into his home as the highest honor that he could bestow Jesus and that he needed to do nothing more for Jesus. See the verses 44 to 46. Simon offers Jesus no water for his feet. He doesn't greet Jesus with a kiss. That's the way that you would greet each other back in the ancient world. And if you go to Quebec, you can still sometimes see that when people greet each other and say hello, they'll they'll kiss each other on either cheek. 
But he doesn't greet Jesus in this way. He doesn't anoint Jesus' head with oil to help take away some of the sweat of the road as, as they scrape their skin clean after that. Now, to be clear, not everyone who wandered into the feast in that day would have received that kind of treatment. It wasn't uncommon for people off the street to wander in and out of such feasts. And yet, if he was a genuine guest, an invited guest, someone whom the host wanted to honor, this was the kind of treatment that you would be expected, that you would expect. But Jesus isn't treated with that kind of courtesy. Jesus is treated as if he's just one more person in the crowd that Simon invites that day. Yes, he's the rabbi, but he's no more special than any other person going in and out. Simon is not honored to have Jesus there. Simon is a Pharisee, a spiritual leader in his own right in Israel, and one who is recognized by the highest spiritual authorities in the land. Jesus is just invited in as a simple theological curiosity so that he can try and see what kind of man this teacher is. And yet, as somebody who's looking from a more upper-class position to someone who's in a more lower-class position, Jesus came out of a background as a carpenter, even if he was a rabbi. Jesus should be, in that kind of a mindset, the one who is honored. His invitation was the highest honor that he could bestow on Jesus. In Simon, we're given a little bit of a lesson on entitlement. It's easy to come with that kind of a mindset, come with that kind of an overarching mindset as we come to people. Come to people in life or come to people even on the pages of Scripture. It's easy to have a high view of ourselves. We're good church-going people. Yes, Jesus becomes then a theological curiosity to be talked about, an idea, a point of doctrine to be discussed and debated, rather than a person to be loved, honored, and cherished, a person with whom we have a relationship, and others that we find all around us, whether on the pages of Scripture or out, become people whom we don't look at through the eyes of Christ, but whom we look at through the eyes of our own heart. And we'll get to that a little bit more in a moment. But yes, in, in Simon, we're given a lesson on entitlement when we come before our Lord. Simon's superior attitude carries on in the way that he looks at this sinful woman as well, his reaction to this woman. Notice what he says here in verse 39. This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. Shock and disgust come through in his response. Disgust with Jesus. He had heard of how the crowds thought earlier in Luke chapter 7 that, that Jesus might be a prophet or the prophet. But any real prophet, in his mind, would know what kind of woman this was. And if Jesus really was sent 
by God as a holy messenger from him, he would have nothing to do with this woman in Simon's mind. And so he shows his disgust for this woman. The love expressed by this woman in the only way that she knows how is deeply uncomfortable for him. Shocking, in fact. She's a sinner, Simon thinks. Now, you might be thinking at this point in time, but isn't everybody a sinner? So what's the big deal of him calling her a sinner? Maybe this is something that came up in the minds of you boys and girls because we do talk in this way quite often that we are all sinners before God. But sinner in the mouth of someone like Simon was not a recognition of everybody's state. He wasn't saying, looking at this woman, oh, she's a sinner just like I am. She needs God's grace just as much as I do. No, the way that he uses this word, she's a sinner. He shouldn't be touching her. He shouldn't be letting her touch him. Sinner was an especially foul person. Someone that you just didn't deal with. You, you didn't talk with them. You, you didn't let them interact with you. You kept your distance. A prostitute, someone who in the minds of many Jews in Simon's day made her living off of preying on the simple-minded and seducing them, leading them down the road to destruction. You didn't associate with that kind of person. She's not named, but she was so notorious that she was instantly recognized as a sinner, as Simon clearly did. And he stands in shock at what is happening. Now to us, in our minds, it might seem strange that she could get into a wealthy Pharisee's household. But this was just a broader reflection of what was going on back in the day and of Simon's actions as well, of the way that Simon lived as well. Those who were rich in this day, they delighted in opening their homes so that they could put their wealth on display for the general public. Such parties often became an exhibition in which they could show their luxurious life, clothing, and educated discussions for the poor. People could come and go and see and listen to the discussions that were going on, maybe get a bite to eat, and then they could go out and share the reputation of that wealthy host. But people who were unwelcome there would usually understand that. That being said, the fact that there would be this traffic going back and forth in there would have made it easier for her to slip in. In some ways, it was a brave thing for her to do. She knew what Simon's reaction would be. She knew the moment that she was discovered, there was no one who would look on her with more contempt than the Pharisees. But she slipped in anyways, and she was not disappointed. Simon's response was one of revulsion that Jesus would let such a woman even touch him. Yet this, even this, is a lesson in entitlement. It is a high view that Simon has of himself 
and of religious people in Israel. A real expectation that people up here don't mix with people down there. That even though people are coming back and forth into his home, they should only come in to observe, to appreciate. They shouldn't come in to spoil the atmosphere. People who are sinners like this woman shouldn't come in and enjoy his hospitality or bother his guests and especially should not create a scene like is happening here. You just don't mix with people down there. But this is a high view of life that we can sometimes have as well. On the one hand, we can see people who have made poor life choices, maybe even dragged into great sins through what they've done. Our Lord calls us to challenge ourselves on a response. Is our response one of disgust and shock? Maybe you may not feel it about the prostitute herself. But what about Simon? When you read this passage in Scripture and you're looking at Simon from your point of view above, do you come to Simon looking at Simon as this sinner who would dare treat this woman in that way? Do you look at Simon with disgust and contempt. What is Jesus even doing spending time with this man? He knows what kind of people the Pharisees are. Is that the perspective that you bring to Simon? Yes, Jesus teaches us about our entitlement. After all, we are beggars all. We too need his grace. We are not entitled to Jesus Christ's attention above others. Jesus draws attention to Simon's entitled response with a parable, and he answers Simon's unspoken question. Notice how our passage puts it. He answers Simon. It's an unspoken question. Simon just has been thinking about it, but Jesus knows. He answers Simon and says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Simon's response shows that he doesn't get what's going on here. He kind of expects something shallow, maybe a trite piece of wisdom. Teacher, say it. But here, Jesus speaks to Simon graciously. You see, despite Simon's attitude, Jesus still cares about Simon too. Contrary to the popular belief voiced only a few verses before that he only spent time with tax collectors and sinners, by even being at Simon's house, Simon, Jesus showed that he cared about all men. Simon, too. What grace. What good news for us. After all, who do you relate better to? The good church-going man who has Jesus sitting around his lunch table or the prostitute? What grace to us who are so often slow of mind and small of heart. So what is it that shows Jesus' care in particular in his response to Simon? The fact that he understands. He understands that Simon doesn't get it. 
Simon doesn't get what forgiveness involves or what grace involves, and he can't wrap his mind around Jesus' dealings with this woman. And so Jesus speaks to Simon. Jesus tries to break the world down into something that Simon would understand. And in this case, for a wealthy man, it was financial Jesus replies to Simon's unspoken question of verse 39 with a parable. Simon, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed him $500. A massive, massive sum. 500 denarii, sorry, a massive sum. A denarius was a a day's wage for an average laborer. If you translated that into today's dollars, that would be over $100,000. And the other, 50, over $10,000, still not an insignificant sum. And what, when, when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon is still not quite tracking. He's not sure where Jesus is going with his parable. Maybe it's a trick question. And so he hedges his answer with an, I suppose. Verse 43, Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And with the words that follow, our Lord shows the depths of his grace. The depths of his grace, not just to Simon himself, not just his kindness to Simon himself, as he reaches out and breaks this down, explains the world explains his kingdom in a way that Simon understands it piece by piece, but also the depths of his grace towards this woman, a grace which this woman has already received, and a grace which is now freely extended to Simon as well. Simon, this is for you, if only he believes. And this brings us to our second point, a beautiful point drawn out of our passage. A whore's hope. Now at this point, some of you might be feeling a little bit uncomfortable, and with good reason. A whore is a deeply offensive and derogatory term for a prostitute. It is deliberately dehumanizing. But there is a reason that I chose it for our passage today. Why? Well, you can see from the response of both the woman and of Simon that she was dehumanized. She was dehumanized in Simon's eyes, but she was also dehumanized in her own eyes. And it's only after having felt dehumanized for so many years and then to have Christ look at her in the way that he does that triggers the response that she gives. Only that kind of a thing could trigger that kind of a response. You see, a a prostitute in ancient Judea was not a noble profession not one which was respected in any way, shape, or form. It's not today either, but it was even lower back then. 
You see, in many ways, you were seen as being beyond redemption if you went down this path as either an adulteress or a prostitute. Consider the description of the adulteress from Proverbs chapter 7. You can hear a small echo of the mindset of the things that would have been on Simon's mind. Verses 21 to 23 of Proverbs chapter 7. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately, the simple man went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks till an arrow struck his liver. As a bird hastened to the snare, he did not know that it would cost his life. And then verse 27, her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. And that's not wrong. It's true. It's powerfully true. This woman was involved in a wicked lifestyle, a profession that had led many people astray. She had facilitated the sins of many. But there's more than one side to this coin. You see, no little girl wakes up one morning excitedly looking forward to a career as a prostitute. There is a long and often miserable road, one aching with misery and sorrow that leads down this path. It's a very dark path, full of anguish, often taken by the desperate. You do become a plaything, an object, a whore, first in the minds of those who use you, and then gradually in your own mind as well. A dehumanized creature to be used for and by men, living in an inescapable pit of misery. Because, as you saw, Simon recognized her. She was seen in all of society that knew her at sight as someone who was that sinner. And for her, there was no going back from that. There was no escape. Yet, used and abused by men, she finds in Jesus a man who is very different. In Simon, she found, even though he didn't use her, a man who was very much the same as all of the other men in her life. A man who condemned, a man who looked down on her, a man who saw her as less. But even though she knew she was going to face that as she came towards Jesus, that didn't stop her. Because in Jesus, she saw a man who saw her as precious. She saw a man who would not receive her for what she could offer to him but who spoke of something that is freely given. Jesus, with his preaching leading up to this point in Luke chapter 7, with his approval of the baptism of John, that baptism of repentance, that baptism of change, that showed that you could be washed clean. It showed her that there was a new way, a way of escape from a life that is enslaved to sin. A way in which she could come to a man who didn't see her as an object, but one who spoke with words of compassion and of hope. 
who could remind her again of those beautiful and comforting words that she would have as a little girl grown up with. In Psalm 51, verse 17, as a young Jewish woman, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. One who showed her that with repentance and faith, she can become a child of the kingdom of God, a child with a clean slate and a fresh start. The words of Luke chapter 7, verse 28, must have resonated so powerfully with her when the apostle Paul was speaking to the crowds surrounding John, or the, the messengers of John the Baptist, after they had gone on their way. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. This wasn't, again, as we saw before, to put John the Baptist down. He was, in fact, exalted. He was the forerunner of the Messiah himself. But it was a picture of saying that the most exalted, the highest possible position that you could have on this earth did not compare to even being the least in the kingdom of heaven. And she could come and she could take hold of that and say, even if I come in as least in the kingdom of heaven, God receives me. I am seen as more precious and more valuable as least in the kingdom of heaven than the one who is greatest in this world. Oh, the words of life and joy and hope for this woman. No longer a prostitute, but a child in God's kingdom. No longer one who is, in the eyes of so many, a worthless thing to be used and cast aside, but one who has value in the sight of God beyond rubies. Oh, perhaps it's with such people as her in mind that Christ's disciple, the Apostle Peter, later wrote to the churches in 1 Peter 2, verses 9 to 10, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. This was the doctrine of Jesus. This is what he came to preach. This is the hope that he brought as his theme for his ministry. That theme text that he had preached in his opening sermon in Luke 4 verse 18, which rang out because he has appointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. The freedom of Jesus is what pushes her over the, head, over the edge. It's what leads her to push through the crowds in the house when she hears that he is there. Nothing will keep her back from him. Not public exposure, 
not shame or humiliation, not the gaze of men who cut her to the soul and then just toss her aside as worthless, a mere sinner. Because she knows how valuable it is what she has. She has repented. She has turned. She has new life and joy in Christ. And nothing will keep her from his side. The prostitute has found her hope and placed it in him, in him alone. She turns around and she gives him the highest honor she could give. What to Simon is a complete shock is for this woman all that she has. What does she have to offer? Kisses, tears raining down from her face. An alabaster flask, she's got that with her. It's a kind of jar. An alabaster flask of fragrant oil, myrrh perfume to be precise. That's what the Greek says. She has it with her, she takes it out. Fantastically expensive perfume, the most expensive thing that she would have the tools of her former trade, a huge investment, a huge outpouring of wealth. She has this. And she pours it out over his feet. This wasn't just a sacrifice to Jesus Christ. It was the mark of an end of an era for her. When she poured that out, there was no going back. In Matthew 26, we read of a similar experience in Bethany. Here in Luke 7, Jesus is in the north in Galilee. Matthew 26 happens in the south near Jerusalem. And in that case, a similar thing happened. But there the comment was made, why this waste? This perfume could have been sold at a high price. There was no going back for her to her former life. She wouldn't be able to afford the kind of perfume that would mark the tools of her trade. Yes, this marked the end of the life for her. The perfume poured out, though fantastically expensive, was a small price to pay in the face of so great a forgiveness as Jesus proclaimed. It was a small token of the great love that she felt. It's also a reflection of the kind of gratitude that we're called to. For those who, hear, who love the Lord, who hear his offer of forgiveness no response could be too big. Nothing could be too costly. Because the knowledge of the riches of forgiveness and grace are so much bigger. Yes, she pours out her small measure of wealth, though it's big in the eyes of the earth. But only because she has gained eternal riches. And with this highest honor that she could give, kissing his feet, tears falling on his feet, her wiping them up with her hair, perfume being poured out freely. Jesus says this, Simon, look at this. This is the fruit of faith. Faith shows itself through the response of love. Christ's grace is real for us, loved ones. If you humbly come to the Lord, it doesn't matter if you've made your bread and butter sleeping around. 
It doesn't matter what happened to you in your past either. For those who come with humility and repentance, they can find grace with Jesus. They can find forgiveness and a new life. They can find something of immeasurable worth. And here's the most remarkable part of it all. Pay attention here. In front of Simon, in front of the Pharisees, in front of all of the guests who are present, Jesus honors her. Jesus honors this woman by holding her up as an example. In this parable before Simon and in the words that he follow, in the words that follow, he makes it crystal clear. In Christ's kingdom, it's the prostitutes who enter in. Simon, you are standing shocked at the gates looking in. It is the prostitutes who are entering in. But this is here for you too. This is the topsy-turvy world of the kingdom of heaven. A world in which prostitutes show the world how to live. Simon, Christ is saying, the riches that she sees, the riches of forgiveness and grace that allows her to respond with such love, these riches are available for you too. Be like this prostitute. Embrace what is freely offered. Love like this prostitute. Love is the proof of the reception of forgiveness. Love is the proof of reception of forgiveness. It's a reminder to us as well, loved ones. Love for Jesus is the proof of the reception of forgiveness. Not simply having him at the table as a theological curiosity, as we look down on those people who are around, the Simons of Scripture, the sinners of Scripture. But those who stand there and those who say, I am at the same level as all of these, and yet Christ has shown me such grace. Those who respond to him in love out of this. The people who are around, they respond with awe and with wonder. Verse 49. Those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus is a kind of person they haven't met before. A kind of teacher they haven't met before. What a beautiful alternative to a Pharisee. Here, even this woman... The one who saw herself through the lens of shame and the one whom the world had looked at through the lens of shame stands forgiven. And Christ says, you are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Faith showed itself through her response of love. Now, don't make the mistake of thinking that this woman's love for Jesus was the cause of her forgiveness rather than the result of forgiveness, as some people have taken this in the past. No. As the parable of Jesus already showed, love follows forgiveness. 
You may have as a knee-jerk response to this passage, I need to love more, I need to do more. No, it's to take hold in faith of I am loved more. He has done for me all that is needed. And when you take hold of that in faith, true gratitude will follow. Shame lifts because he washes us clean of shame. Hope returns. And though your sins were like scarlet, a scarlet letter marking you before all the world to see, in Christ you will be as white as snow. Congregation, loved ones, take hold of Jesus' promise in faith. Hold tight with both hands. And when you do take hold and realize how deep his love goes, nothing will be too great to give up in comparison with that love that he has already given you. Because what could compare to that kind of love? What could measure up to that kind of love? Hear the call of Christ. Hear the call of your Savior. Having taken hold of his promises in faith, and love him. Love him with the love of the prostitutes. Love him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength in all that you have. Amen.